All right, everybody, good to see you. Good morning to you. Special welcome to you if you're new. Good to see you again if you're not. If you'd like to stand and worship with us. Thank you. 
as we meet as your church to thank you for making us your church. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come and be gathered and hear your word. It's by your word that you adjust the dials in our hearts. It's by your word that you encourage us and reaffirm us and put us back together after some wondering. Because we're always wondering, but you're always pursuing and always holding and always keeping. Thank you that the promise is there because of your eternal word that fixes us in your presence because you've established faith in Christ in us. May our faith in him be heightened today as we hear the word and do what only you can as you bring forth more faith and more grace to accomplish this wonderful thing. And may it be our joy to hear of our God from our God. And it's for his wonderful name we pray.
mother's going to preach today, did you? <laughs> Sorry, mother. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, can you hear me? Oi, son. Oh my, oh dear. Now you really know where I came from, huh? Okay. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by, his, by news of you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know, Timothy, proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon to see how it will all go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. There's teas in me. Okay. We are going to be moving on to a second phase here at First Christian Church. 
So it's going to be a brand new phase here. So we're going to discuss a little bit about what we're going to do, but we're going to go into a little bit of background on why we want to do it. We have been studying through Luke and now the Philippians, and we see that as Christians, we choose to put our confidence in the Lord and see our faith through faith like Paul did, see our life through faith like Paul did when he was in prison awaiting his trial. To have our confidence and faith, our unconditional love in the Father, we understand that we are one spirit, one faith, and have one goal to live for Christ and to be guided by his power and not our own. We have pursued the book of Luke and have learned about the tree and its fruit and how we are able to make a declaration about Jesus and the Father through love and unity in his word. And working together in small groups like we have before has set us up to learn how to work with one another, how to understand one another, how to love one another, and how to let obstacles not get in our way when it comes to Christ. So this will be another a group that will be a small group that will be in charge of outreach. But it's great that we can work together because we learn how to understand that things do change, that we are okay, that there is one God, one spirit, one faith, and that we lead each other and help each other in the group to do the right thing for Christ. I gotta put my glasses back on, okay? My sister's up there. Okay. The first Christian church is going to begin our second phase the outreach of FCC. Just like Paul, we must be bold for Christ in reaching outside these walls to express the good news of our Father and through Christ our salvation. The spread of the good news to the surrounding community and helping those in need of prayer and compassion and the truth of the gospel. We'll be encouraging each other in one spirit, one purpose, and fighting together in one faith to show the priceless value of knowing Christ. This program will include community participation, volunteering with school systems, planning and executing community programs, and door-to-door -door prayer groups. And much more as Christ works in our hearts to expand this program. Christ has given us many words of encouragement through the books of the Bible, and we need to press on and towards the goal of serving others as Jesus did when walking on the earth. As we jumped into the, Phil the Philippians, we learned how a church should be. We learned that a church needs to be united in one that even though we disagree with certain things, that the Bible is the truth. It never changes, it's one light, and that we all know that we need to surround that and get that message out to others. We know that, they don't. We understand that we have love here that when we pass away that we're going to heaven, they don't understand that. We need to get that out, and in order to do that, we have to be united under one. We can't be all different, because it isn't gonna work, they're not gonna believe us. And they shouldn't, if that's the case. In closing, we will be meeting next Sunday in the studio after service for all those that are here to serve outside these walls and those that have the desire to help people in need and give them the knowledge of salvation through Christ. I know as we study and learn through these last few books with Leonard in our great Bible that the feeling the need to move forward and get outside these walls and teach people and show people how love and how Christ does is burning in my heart. And I pray that it's also burning in yours. And I hope to see whoever would like to do this next Sunday in the studio. Thank you very much. Put this down now, Leonard, you're up. Okay. All right. Well, as you know, we're trying to um, be the church again uh, in light of everything that we've gone through. It's almost been two years of of living in a pandemic moment and all of the redefining effects that that's had on changing our way of life and a lot of us feel like 
if there were any rules, they've been thrown out and new rules are being created. And uh, it's rather disorienting, isn't it, to think about where we were a few years ago and where we are now. But what is or reorienting is the fact that we are still a people that are centered in the Word of God and in the person of Jesus, and He is a source for everything. And so uh, we're going to move into a prayer time, just as we sang a few minutes ago about taking everything that we have as a burden and, and bring it before Him. And I'd like to just know if there's any burdens or any concerns or anything that you have brought into this room that we can be praying for uh, you uh, regarding that thing that um, weigh, weighs so heavily. I do want to mention that um, uh, Lisa Niederheiser's sister Sherry uh, is in the hospital in Orlando, and it doesn't look good. Uh, she's intubated right now, and it's a it's a cancer situation that may or may not result, and um, I know she's pretty heavy-hearted this morning with that burden, and I just want to keep Sherry lifted up before the Lord. Um, also want to be praying for uh, the Haitian missionaries that we mentioned last week. Uh, if you've been following that drama, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but um, the, the, the mission organization is just right out of Millersburg, uh, so it's a local uh, Mennonite slash Amish Anabaptist tradition that's down in Haiti, and their sole responsibility is to provide the Word of God to help kids uh, with education, help provide families with food that they, they lack in a country that has no government and no resources and just chaos. Notwithstanding the fact there was an earthquake in August and a lot of the homes have been destroyed and they've been down there trying to build homes. So all of these kingdom-oriented initiatives uh, have been impacted by a, a, a gang of people that have said, oh, we see Americans, we see dollar signs. But what's so interesting is the response of uh, the Christian brothers and sisters who are connected to them in Haiti and, and the people here locally and, and just down in Amish country. And uh, they're praying for the release of uh, the, the brothers and sisters that are serving down there. But they're also praying that the love of God would somehow shine through the evilness of the moment in a way that helps their captors to be aware that Jesus is Lord. And that's a very charitable response. It's not a natural response, but it is a Jesus response because these people, regardless of their mindset right now, are people that Christ died for. And that attitude, I think, is something that we could pay attention to. But we want to keep that situation lifted up, and hopefully it can resolve in a, in a peaceful and hopefully productive way. So with that, th those two things mentioned, um, uh, just, uh, uh, just continue to pray for one another as we go through this uh, kind of COVID moment. It's resurged and stuff for some people. And I'm so grateful just to be here and my world has gone from, um, I was telling um, uh, Matt Mowry, it, he said, well, how did it work? And I said, well, my, my world went from color to black and white to static TV. And I feel like I've moved out of static into black and white, and now the color is starting to come back again. So it's nice to just be alive.
um, and so you, we count our blessings. So, anybody have anything this morning that uh, we want to add to what I've shared? Okay, Rachel? Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so Rachel Tice will be having surgery on the 14th. Okay, next surgery, and if anybody's ever been through that, you know it's scary, but prayers help. Anything else? Okay. Um, all right, let's go ahead and just bow and take everything we have before the Lord. Lord Jesus, it is a privilege to be in your presence, to be able to kneel before your throne, and to know that you are King of kings and that you are Lord of lords. But also your posture is one of humility and love, and your desire is to, is to deliver us from the captivity of the evil one, which you've accomplished sufficiently on a bloodstained cross. And you've expressed it boldly through the empty tomb. And it is a hope that we now carry in our hearts because you have delivered us from the domain of darkness and you have called us into your wonderful light to be light and life for the people around us. So thank you for that privilege, Lord. It is our new identity that we have in Christ and it makes all the difference in the world. And Father, as we just take this hope and we try to embed it, not only in our own hearts at a deeper level, we pray, Father, that we could be broadcasters of hope to the world around us. We pray for brothers and sisters in Haiti who are captive right now, that, that you, alongside um, the children that are there with them, would just allow them to find mercy in the eyes of their captors and that somehow... Uh, the presence of Jesus would manifest in a way that the walls of hostility and evil and of, uh, of, of exploitation would, would, would just melt into love and grace and peace. Pray, Father, for those who are recovering from COVID, uh, that you just continue to grant strength and healing. Pray, Father, that you would be with Rachel Tice and that you would help her with the surgery coming up in November, that you would bless her with the healing that she longs for. And I pray for Sherry, uh, Lissa's sister, as she is dealing with um, uh, a challenge that is life and death, literally. And I just ask, Father, that you would um, be at work in her life as your, as your child, Lord. And if it's, a, if it's a time to come home, I pray that you give everyone there, including her, the grace to receive that calling. If it's a time for healing, just bless everyone that's part of that process as she's in the care of doctors and nurses in the hospital. We just thank you, Father, for helping us with burdens like this. We pray, Father, as well, just continually for um, our, our, our local care providers and doctors and nurses and people that are living in stresses that are unimaginable that you would keep them in your grace and peace. And same for our schools, our teachers, administrators, and especially our children. Just continue to watch over them and help them through this time as well. Lord, as a church, I pray, Father, that we would be in tune with your purposes for the moment, and we would not allow the pressures that are at work against us from 
the circumstances that we're living in to overshadow the vision that we have of your son. And so, Lord Jesus, please come alive in the hearts and the minds of everyone here, myself included. And do that, Father, as uh, we pray the Lord's Prayer together. Just activate in our hearts through your grace um, that strengthening of our vision of your Son. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, let's just get at it. Um, we are in the book of Philippians, and we are following on the hills, heel, heel, heels, I guess, um, uh, of uh, what we read in the Christ hymn last week, which was such a powerful, powerful image of who Jesus is and how he humbled himself and is now exalted. Um, so that's kind of the backdrop. But before we get into that, I, I, I want you to think uh, in terms of, well, so what? What difference does it, does it make? And as I've thought about the moment that we're in, the effect that it's had on us as a church and even me personally with, with COVID and stuff, I thought about an experience I had as a kid. Now, my, my mom was just adamant that I would get swim lessons and that I would know how to swim at a very young age. And so I remember in the summer, she would get in the car and she would take me down to the pool and they would go through uh, the Red Cross uh, swimming, training, helping basically second and third graders learn not to drown. And um, so I can, I can remember it uh, like it was yesterday. Uh, how, you know, I struggled with learning how to do it. And then once I figured it out, it was like, I got it. And then I got confident. And then I remember going to where the high dive was and thinking, I can do this. And I remember going to the, to the top of the high dive. And, of course, you can imagine I'm like an 8-year-old, 9-year-old up there. And I'm looking down, and I'm like, wow, from down there, it doesn't look that high. But from up here, it's got to be 100 feet down to the water, and then I don't know how deep it is after that. Well, I jumped, I made it, and I'm like, well, that was kind of fun. So then I got cocky, and I took a coin, and I threw it into the water, and I thought, it's not really that deep. I can go down, and I can jump in the, 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 the water from the high dive, swim all the way to the bottom, grab the coin, and come back up, which was fine only it didn't quite execute like I thought it would. Uh, and so I jumped in. After I, Well, I got up there. I threw my coin down. I saw it, and I thought, I'm going to grab that. So I go down there, and I start swimming, and the coin keeps moving. And I'm thinking, holy cow, I can't get it. And I, I eventually, I, I grabbed it. But then I'm looking up, and I'm like, wow, it's a long way up to the top. And I start swimming, and I'm like, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. And I remember panicking, thinking, I'm never going to get there. And then finally, uh, I burst through the surface, and I was able to, you know, take in gallons of air, you know. And it was, it was for a kid that age, it was so traumatic. But what was so overwhelming was how much water was on top of me. 
and I will never forget it. And actually, I don't remember ever throwing any coins from the high dive after that. It was like, I think I learned my lesson. I don't like that feeling of all that water on top of me, notwithstanding the fact that it doesn't look as deep uh, when you initially glance at it as it, it truly is when you try to swim from down there up to the surface again. And I kind of feel like we're in that moment where we are sort of in over our heads in ways that we've never thought before. And you think, well, okay, it's a pandemic for sure, and there's a disruption for sure, and we've had to do things on computer, and we've had to change some of our habits and some of our ways of doing things. But one thing stacked on top of another, stacked on top of another, stacked on top of another, creates the cumulative effect of, I'm just overwhelmed right now. That everything that I used to do, I no longer find myself doing in the same way. Even grocery shopping, even uh, simple things like buying gas or um, how much time I spend on, on, on watching television or the internet. It just, everything is different. And what is disorienting about it is you ask yourself, what is the one thing that will not change? And the thing that I keep coming back to is what we do here. We are a people called into a new relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus. And the presence of Jesus isn't just a theory or a story from way back when. It is a living, dynamic, though invisible, very real experience. And through the course of these past few years, the only way that I've ever really felt like I was not disoriented were the times that I spent somehow connected to him, whether in his word or in worship with you guys or spending time serving or doing anything where the presence of Jesus is called upon to be a part of that. That has been the only space where I felt like I am not overwhelmed. Now, what's so cool about going through the book of Philippians, like you and I have been going through uh, the past uh, few weeks, is that Paul is actually writing to a group of people that are feeling that in ways that are kind of similar, but certainly different when it comes to the type of pressures that they're, that they're under at the moment. And Paul is feeling somewhat helpless about this church that he loves so much, uh, the people that he personally was responsible for leading to the Lord who started the church that we read about in Acts 16, like, like Lydia and, um, and, and perhaps the woman who had the, the demons that was the fortune teller. But no less, the retired um, military serviceman who became a jailer in Philippi who Paul was in prison under for just a brief period of time 
And when the earthquake happened, as the hymns were being sung, and the gates opened, and Paul was essentially given an opportunity to just flee, he stayed, and the jailer heard the message of the gospel. He and his family were converted, and it led to the founding of a church at a critical place in the expansion of the proclamation of the gospel into Europe. See, the northernmost part of, of basically the empire at that time uh, was, was Philippi in the, in the northern part of the Mediterranean. And beyond that, you go into, you go into like Eastern Europe and on into um, what we know today as, as Austria and places beyond. And Philippi was that place where Paul said, not a lot of Jews there, but if we can just get the word established here, who knows what will happen to the rest of the known world. This was a critical moment. He's getting feedback about the struggle that the church is going through, and he's helpless because he, has, he doesn't have the ability to be there with them in person to say, you're going to make it. You're going to get through this. Because they're turning to each other and they're saying, are we really going to make it? And they're starting to get discouraged because the person responsible for their founding as an organization that was such a unique organization is now in prison. And if the Lord is truly Lord, why in the world is Paul having to live out his missionary time as a captive under the Roman government. And the thing about when you go to prison in the Roman world, they didn't have human rights. They didn't have due process. It wasn't like they walked up to his door and they said, Paul, you have the right to remain silent. Everything you say can and will be held against you in a court of law. And I've watched enough TV. That's about all I know. But um, hopefully I'll never have to hear them read to me. But point being, that's not the way it worked. Paul made somebody mad they raised a stink with the magistrate, and the magistrate says, we don't know what to do with you, Paul, so we're going to throw you in jail until we figure it out. That's how they did things in that day. Now, if Paul was found guilty, they would say, we're not going to let you spend a lot of time here in jail. We're just going to cut your head off and be done with it, because that's how the Romans work. You either are for Rome or you are not for Rome. And Paul, we're not sure where you're at, because... You're talking about a God who's different than our, 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 our divine representation, Caesar Augustus. You are claiming a religion that is not our religion, and you are undermining a lot of the things that the Romans are all about. We're not quite sure whether or not we should keep you around or not. And this is what Paul was feeling. And he's concerned that it's going to impact his ability to continue. And as he writes in this letter, and I shared this with the men's group yesterday, he talks about being in chains repeatedly. He talks about his sufferings. He talks about his concerns about the well-being of the people in the church. And he just catalogs about 15, 20 different scriptures that say it's bad. It's bad. But he takes that badness 
of the moment, and he says, but not going to let it get under my skin, but rather I'm going to rejoice. And repeatedly throughout the letter, he peppers it with all these things that we have to be joyful about. And at the end of the day, there is a hope and an optimism that despite all the circumstances that are pressing in on him and pressing in on the congregation, he's saying, Jesus is the only one who has the last word in all of this. And my hope and my confidence is in him alone despite everything. And he was hoping that that awareness would be contagious to a degree that the heaviness of everything on them would kind of recede and they would feel a peace of Christ that passes all understanding. And he talks about that in chapter 4. And as Paul is just trying to show the new vision for life, he's trying to help this church get aligned with their new identity as followers of Christ. So here's what he said, and we, we covered this a couple of weeks ago. In, ch in chapter 1, uh, he said, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from that day until now. And he's not talking about, oh, I'm talking about the elders, and I'm talking about, you know, people like... Um, that they work here, like, like Brian and Brittany, the pastor. Um, no, he's saying all of us have this good news, and it makes a difference for everyone. And he says, I am confident that he who began a good work inside of you is going to make it come to completion where you are fully formed into the image of Christ, that your character, your attitude, your response to things is the same response that Jesus has. And he said, that is my prayer. And as a pastor, if my expectation for you guys, for myself, is anything less than that, then I'm betraying my calling. Because we are called to be a different people. And if anything, if God's disrupting everything out there and letting the rules just kind of go into chaos, he may be saying to the church, now is your time to shine. And that's sort of what Rachel, you know, has had the burden of in what you've shared is now's our time to shine. But it's also our time that we have to be aligned. We have to be of the same mind. And as Paul is writing this letter, the one thing that he repeats is that he is praying that this church will be of the same mind about who they are and what they're supposed to be doing. And then he said in chapter 2, as we talked about last week, that your mind would be the same as the mind of Christ who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself in the form of a man, taking on the form of a servant, so that he in that humility could accomplish the good work of God, and then God exalted him. And Paul said, 
that is the mind that needs to come alive in you guys as well. And I don't know about you, but one of the biggest attractions that the church has always had for me is that it is made up of a whole cross-section of people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different gender, different, just all of the categories that we have out there, they seem to blur together into something that is not like out there. And when we gather, Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor free. What he's basically saying is all those category differences out there don't they they have some value but at the end of the day each of you are members of a family that is by design called to be a family forever but i don't know what your house is like five people in my house at one point five wills five ideas about how to do things course you know called two of them from the herd so now it's just three well actually it's one primary matriarch and then the other two guys trying to kind of keep the peace but when you look at the larger view of who we are as a family the only way that it will i mean honestly the only way that you and i despite the fact that we may we may like each other or not like each other hopefully we like each other that we really love each other in a spirit of Christ-like love, and we grow through the process of the painful, of the painful experience of having to learn to get along, of having to learn to cooperate, of having to take our own selfishness and our own sinfulness and put it to the side and ask in a fresh way, what does Jesus want us to do as his family. And Paul says, I am praying that just as Jesus started that process inside of you, he's going to bring it to completion that when Jesus shows up, you'll be here saying, Lord, I am ready to be in the forever family experience with my brothers and sisters in all of eternity. And that's what Paul says. When the day of Christ happens, what happens here is done. But in the meantime, there is work that needs to occur that is supposed to lead to a lot of change in your life and mine. Okay, so maybe you're tired of hearing all the background stuff about Philippi. I just want to say a couple more things real quickly before I, I get into that. And that is, I want to show a picture of what this place looked like. So back in the day, if you went to Philippi, that's what it would sort of look like from a little bit of a distance. It's a town that is formed along a hill with a big arena or amphitheater uh, off to the side on the hill that goes up, you know, in the backdrop. And it was a town that was a critical outpost for the Roman Empire. 
Basically, soldiers that were done fighting wars were given the responsibility of running this town. So they stole all of the farmland from the Greek people that lived up there. And they said, we'll take that now. And we'll take that in the name of the emperor. And then we will celebrate him on a very regular basis. So there's coins, actually, and I'll show them to you, of uh, different Caesars, and this one's Caesar Augustus. And if you see that word D-I-V, it basically was a coin that whenever you were paying uh, in exchange for something in Philippi, you would have a coin like that, and it would say, Caesar is God. The end. Not in God we trust, but it says, this guy that you're looking at, he is divine. Whatever he says is a reflection of the supreme being, and Augustus, Caesar Augustus, is the representation of that supreme being, and you need to honor him. And on the backside of the coin, uh, you would oftentimes have these oxen, and you're like, well, why would there be oxen? And of course, it's farm ground and stuff like that. But it was said that back in the day, if you were carving out a space that you said this is sacred for the Roman Empire, because religion and state were together. It was all one. And the, the, the word was that a priest who representative of the emperor as God would, would dig a furrow around the area that they would declare as sacred space for Rome. So if Philippi is founded in a way that says this is now a Roman city, the priests would have taken the oxen and they would have they would have drugged the plow all the way around and said ceremoniously, this place is now dedicated to the purposes of the Roman Empire, especially it's as, as those ideas are reflected by Caesar. Now, in order to kind of keep this thing alive, they actually had, um, on almost a quarterly basis, a community-wide celebration where the rich people in the town would give grain to everybody. They'd give them like a week's supply of grain. And they would give them all the olive oil that they could ever use. And then that day, that's a pretty big deal. And then um, they would provide entertainment. And the entertainment was, um, well, it was gladiatorial, which meant that the way that we have fun is we all trot out to the amphitheater and we watch gladiatorial games happen. And essentially it would be perhaps like professional wrestling, only, you know, it wasn't predetermined in the outcome. I don't know if you knew that or not. But, um, uh, you know, as benign as that, but also as harsh as we have people that are creating disruption, and we're just for the purposes of entertainment going to all gather together and watch them slaughtered by gladiators. And if there weren't any people, they would do that to animals. And there was just this bloodlust that people came to thrive on. And it was this barbarism that was an expression of the celebration of the power of the Roman Empire. Now, if you can imagine trying to be a follower of Jesus in the midst of that, and the only way, really, you could have any kind of identity whatsoever is if you're somehow doing something connected to what is called the family 
of Caesar. And the family of Caesar was this. It, these were senators, which meant these are wealthy landowners who could weigh in on policy when it came to how the city was governed. These were other landowners who weren't necessarily of that caliber, but they were the equestrian class. And then there were the people that lived in their households. And all of those people could say, we have clout because we are connected. And then there was a lesser caste of people. There were slaves. And then beyond that, women. And then beyond that, children. And that was the bottom rung. And, and they, those categories of people didn't really even count. They were you could do with them whatever you wanted. If you were a Roman male, you could sexually do anything to anyone that you felt like doing pretty much at any time. And it was just sanctioned by that whole understanding of who they are as a family. All right. Are you, are you guys with me so far? Is that a picture of a type of world that you would like to live in? And the bottom line for a lot of people was, we're uncomfortable with that, but we don't know what else to do. And so when Paul showed up at their doorstep and said, there is a better way, they're like, if so, prove it. And boy, he did until things started falling apart, allegedly. Because the history books will tell us the gospel went from Philippi into the rest of Europe, and eventually, by the fourth century, when they would have a gladiatorial game, everybody's like, we're not in that same mind anymore. We're not interested. And the whole thing collapsed because the church had gained such traction through the proclamation of the gospel, through the living out of the gospel, that eventually the whole Roman Empire became a critical mass of people, became the, the influencers of how you live life. And the way that they did it wasn't, oh, you, you got to start doing it the way of Jesus or else God's going to, he's going to do something bad to you. No, the way they did it was, when there were children that were abandoned, because you could, if you didn't like your kid back in the day, you're like, we don't like this kid. You take him to a place and you just abandon him. Christians were taking him in. When there were neighbors whose elderly people were abandoned by their kids, Christians were taking them in. When there were hospital needs that couldn't be provided for if you weren't connected to the family, Christians were doing hospital work. And this generosity of spirit, which no one else was doing, won the, won, won the world over. I, while I was sick, I was, I've been reading all this background stuff, as you're probably thinking, oh man, is this all we're going to hear for the next, I'll try not to burden you with it. But there's a scholar named Tom Holland, and he said, I just love studying the, the period of the Roman emperors. But he said the disturbing thing was the more I read it, the more I felt like those people were alien. The attitude that they had towards each other, the way that they behaved, there really isn't much that we have in common with them. There weren't human rights. 
it was just the Roman way or the highway or the dead way. And he said, even though I'm not a Christian, I understand something, that the gospel had changed irreversibly the culture of the people in Rome. And even as a skeptic, he said, I am living in a period of time where if it wasn't for what Paul wrote, there wouldn't be human rights. If it wasn't for what Paul wrote, there wouldn't be hospitals like we know them. If it wasn't for what Paul wrote, there wouldn't be the notion of freedom like we've come to discover in democracies. And he just said there are so many things I did not realize that happened as a result of the writings of Paul. It's redefined the whole map of Europe. And he said, had Paul never written these books, Europe would not be what, what it had become. It, would, it wasn't even capable of becoming the powerful place that it was in the last few centuries. And the bottom line for him was, when Paul wrote these words, they're just simple documents. They're not real long. But have you ever heard of during like World War II and the submarines were, you know, sneaking around in the water and they discovered a way to detect them and the way that you eradicated the submarine was you would offer a depth charge. That is, you know, you drop a bomb way down in the water, you know, a few hundred feet right about where that submarine was and then you would just release the Kraken. Boom! And then that, of course, would destroy all of those underwater vessels. He said what Paul wrote was a depth charge for humanity in Europe that over the span of three, two, three, four centuries imploded in such a way that it redefined life as we know it. Now, why do I bother to go through all of this? We are living in a moment where that barbarism is coming back, where Christians are fighting one another in ways that should not happen. And the online experience has become, you know, I don't even want to be on there because people feel like I have a license now to murder you with my words. And then I stop and I think, well, how many of the people now are going to church? And we know the stats are that churches are in decline I mean, all churches are in decline, and so is the influence of the church. And those barbarians that we just described in Rome are trying to come back to the surface. And it's not because it's just a typical, normal human pattern. It's because we are sinful, no question. And when we put ourselves first, we become tyrants. But secondly, there is an adversary who is constantly at work saying, I want to kill, I want to steal, and I want to destroy. I want the whole planet to actually look like Haiti. I don't want there to be governments that are organized in a way that allow for civility. I don't want any of that stuff. I just want to destroy, destroy, destroy. And so it's no wonder. I came home from work the other day, and I was depressed. Of course, I wasn't feeling good, and I'm like, man, you know, this COVID thing is just such a devastator. 
And I hadn't listened to a podcast for a long time by um, a fellow by the name of Michael Heiser. And it's been about six months. I'm listening. I'm like, he doesn't sound good. It turns out he had cancer and he was going through chemotherapy. Or chemotherapy. And then his host didn't sound good. And he was just in the hospital for two weeks overcoming COVID. And then I came home and my wife said, I just got some really bad news. One of our students was killed out on the highway, and um, we're just devastated because we know this kid. And I thought, well, how much worse can the news get? My sister calls me yesterday, and she says, um, I went to the doctor, and I've never, I haven't been to the doctor in 20 years, but Medicaid said, you better go and get checked out. So I went, and they sneakily did a blood test on me because I really didn't want it. And she kind of went into that and laughed. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. And she said, doctor says I'm fine. And I'm like, because she started talking about mammograms and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I just, I can't, Lord. I can't. And it was just refreshing to hear a report that there is something normal at work somewhere. But what's even more refreshing is that every week we hear a report that no matter what, even though the center of things is coming undone all around, Jesus is still Lord, and we are still stewards of the gospel. So in the stuff that we read, Paul is saying, therefore, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. I'm just going to say this because I know I've taken up a lot of time setting this up. Um, when you read that passage, people used to debate, well, am I earning my salvation or am I not earning my salvation? Should, if I work out my salvation, does that mean I, I'm trying hard to, to be saved? No, 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 no. There, trust me, there's nothing you can do to be saved. Uh, I'll show you two charts real quickly. One is of the fact that when Adam was in charge, he's made in God's image. He thought equality with God was something that he could, he could be like God. He said, I'm not going to be your servant. I'm going to follow this other voice. And if I eat this fruit along with my wife, I'll live forever. And, um, uh, and, and, and so he's found in human shape or likeness. He exalts himself. He's disobedient unto death. And he's condemned by God. And the scripture says that we live under the curse of that sin. Doesn't mean that we said yes, uh, we, we, we did that. But every time we violate God's creational purpose for our lives, we sin. We ratify lawlessness. And we say to people around us, it is okay to behave in whatever way I feel like doing because Adam did. Now, what we read last week, Christ, when he came, he's made in God's image. He said, I'm not even going to try to say I'm equal with God, like Caesar in the coin. He said, um, I'm just going to be a servant for God. And then he said, 
I'm not desiring immortality like that. I am just trusting, not my will, but his will be done no matter what. And, of course, we saw Jesus in the shape of one of us. He humbled himself, and he said, Father, in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. And he went on to be murdered in typical Roman barbaric ways. Oh, you say you're disrupting things. Kill him. It wasn't like we're going to go to court, we're going to get a lawyer, and we're going to work this out through the law. Nah. Jesus, we're just tired of you. Goodbye. And then God said, that is the world my son came to save and redeem. And the only way that that is ever going to happen is for the people that say yes to that bloodstained cross. Yes, I need a savior. Yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I know I have been disobedient. And some of us would say, I I barely can come to church because my sins are so bad. Don't flatter yourself. There's plenty of sins that are much worse than probably anything anyone in this room has done. But what God is saying is, Just as you live under that curse, which you didn't initiate to begin with, you're now living under grace, which you didn't initiate to begin with either. But it is the gift that God says, this is the way that I'm helping you in your helplessness to discover what I created you to be in the first place. And if the church is not taking on the mind of Christ, then we are setting back that divine initiative. And Paul goes on to write, don't grumble. Don't be like the wicked and crooked people around you. Because when you grumble, it's basically saying, I, 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 me, 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 I don't like this, I don't like that. And to be honest with you, if I had went to Broadway Christian Church, But before I went there, somebody was complaining about, oh, I didn't like the pastor's sermon, or I didn't like, you know, so-and-so, you know, they snubbed me, or blah, blah, blah. I probably would have said, I guess not. And Paul says, don't be those people. I know you're hard-pressed. I know you're feeling it. I know it hurts. I know you got to sort of vent a little bit on it, but don't. Take it to the Lord. Be anxious in nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication. Make your requests known to God. And that turmoil that is in your soul, may, then the peace of Christ that passes all understanding, it will keep you. It will keep you. It will sustain you. It will help you. And Paul is looking at the Christians And just like every one of us, when we let God work in us, he does a good work. And so we work out our salvation, not meaning that we work for it, we've already got it. It basically means now that you're that person, live accordingly, because God's going to enable you to do it. And the whole Roman Empire would not have changed just because a few people said, we're going to get serious about ethics. 
No. A whole bunch of people said, we're going to get serious about Jesus. And whatever he says to do for other people, regardless of what Caesar says, we're going to do. And the church at Philippi was in that tension. Because everybody was saying, you haven't been showing up at the public celebrations. What's going on? And they were saying, cans. And other people were saying, that's deeply concerning. Because if you are not for Caesar, you are against him. You better watch out and you better rethink it. And there were some people during these celebrations, they would have a public call for repentance that said, if you've been following Jesus and you don't want to do it anymore, you can renounce him here and re-swear your allegiance to Caesar. That was an option. That meant that socially people would say, oh, you're back. You're with us. It's going to go smooth. It's going to go good. And sin promises that, doesn't it? I mean, the one thing we like about sin is it offers so much promise to feel good, and you think, if I sin, I can enjoy it. And Paul even addresses this, and he says, you think you can sin and ask for forgiveness, and it's all good, but what you're doing basically is sinning to a point where it's starting to redefine you again. And your heart's starting to get hard again. And you're starting to lose your love for Jesus. That's what sin does. And he's saying, don't get caught up in that. Don't believe the lie. It's empty. And it'll just leave you in despair. Now, I don't know if I've sold you on this, but it's not really me doing the work. It's the word working in your heart. But if you're grumbling and complaining about the imperfections of the world that we live in, and that's your primary preoccupation, you're probably not going to hear it. But if you're humbly like Christ, asking the question, Lord, in this imperfect world, in this imperfect church, what would you have me do? And I think the first thing, if you haven't done already, is to declare allegiance to him as your Lord and Savior. Because that's the only way God can really go to work in you and change you and help you to become who we were supposed to become before the lie took hold to begin with. And every Sunday, we want to invite you into that relationship. We want you to know him as Paul knew him. Now, I'm excited to talk about how Paul knew him, but we'll stop there. Would you, would you bow with me? Father, I just pray that the things that we've shared regarding the brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago or the brothers and sisters in Haiti right now and the love that they had for your son and the difficulty of the moment that created tension in their hearts, I just pray, Father, that if that tension is alive in this room, that the peace of Christ would just begin to go to work. That you, Lord Jesus, would do that thing in our hearts by your grace that counteracts the power of the curse, the power of sin, by your redeeming grace 
wonderful love. I pray that whoever is here, Lord, today, that you are calling into that relationship, that you would give them ears to hear and a heart to respond, and that you help us as a church not to judge, not to condemn, not to shame, but just simply to allow the conviction of your spirit to do your good work so that we can do our good work by being the loving people that reflect the love that Jesus has had for us. May that come alive in this room in greater measure and in every heart in greater measure as we offer this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Heavenly Father, we have so many, so many reasons to rejoice. Freedom to worship you through our, our music, through prayer, through the scripture readings that we had today. We rejoice that we have a group looking to do more outreach in a community that is hurting. Lord, we all feel the same chains that Paul felt. We can all rejoice that we are in relationship with you, that you've invited us to this table, that we have the time to take to reflect on the bread and the cup, that we can recall your body beaten, your blood shed all for us. We rejoice in the fact that we can take these emblems, reflect on you, that they strengthen us just as they strengthened Paul as he reflected on the church at Philippi. That we just draw closer to you, that we just draw closer to one another as we communion with you. In your son's name we pray.
comes and visits you in chapter 2 is all filled with enough with good doctrine of Christ Jesus and then says therefore as to what their work should be and then gives them two really good examples and the two men at the end of the chapter so just makes this point that um, the devotion the work of your hands um, thrives out of good doctrine and that's the faith in your heart so as we do announcements now, maybe there's something that catches your attention, something that you could be a part of responding to uh, Rachel's invitation. There's boxes out um, in our uh, lobby out here, I believe, and Operation Christmas boxes are now available in the foyer uh, by the kids' ministry. Boxes are to be returned no later than Sunday, November 14th. That's my mom's birthday. Uh, shipping is $9, and checks need to be written to Samaritan's Purse and left in the box. Uh, during our time in the Philippians of Studies, we'll be gathering here on Tuesday <coughs> nights uh, in this room, and um, uh, we'll be looking at the scripture in its purest form and therefore praying in, in prayer's purest form, where we pray out of the word of God for the things of the word of God, because you, you, you can't do the will of God without knowing the work of, of the word of God. Uh, and so that's going to take place. Everything that we've learned in here today opened up a little bit more and made fresh in our minds and brought before God's throne for him to bless his church with. And you can join us online as well. The Joy Club will be meeting on Wednesday, November 3rd at 12 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. Lunch will be provided, and please sign up uh, and let us know if you'd like to be there. Uh, youth, explo uh, youth Explosion, uh, students in 6 to 12 who would like to attend uh, the 2021 Youth Explosion at Malone University, uh, November 12th and 23rd. Please ask Matt Cutler. Uh, let him know ASAP. Tickets are $45. Uh, Friendsgiving. The students and student ministry are seeking donations to their annual Friendsgiving event. There is a list of items needed in the foyer, and please contact uh, Matt Cutler or Brittany, or Brittany Lefner if you'd like to assist in that area. All right, so if you'd like to stand and worship with us as we go.
to make us a new people. You've bought us by your blood and you're uh, sanctifying us by your word for your glory. So may, our, may your glory be our every motive as we, as we leave this place. What brings you glory? May that be the deciding factor in the things that we choose. And teach us, sanctify us, counsel us, direct us in your word, having established us by your blood. Thanks for your wonderful name. We give you all thanks and praise for these wonderful things that are too wonderful for us. In Jesus' name, amen.